So if you have your Bible, would you take it out and stand with me for the reading of God's Word and turn to the book of Revelation, the third chapter, page 996 in this Red Pew Bible. If you brought your own, I bet you it's at the back of your Bible in the third chapter. And in verses 7 through 13. Christ again addresses the church. If you're visiting, when I get done reading, we will read this together. I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And you'll say real loud, thanks be to God. Meaning this is something we can trust. Together as God's people, let's read out loud verses 7 through 13 of the third chapter. And as you read, listen carefully, you're reading God's word. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but are lying. I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word of patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. If you conquer, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You will never go out of it. I will write on you the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but those words never will. Uh, Booker T. Washington was, of course... A uh, great leader, right after the Civil War, he was born, his mother was a slave. He came out and he helped educate. He believed that education was good, but a trade was more important. So he and actually W.E.B. Du Bois uh, had a public argument. Du Bois said, education, 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 and Washington said, no, we got to get jobs. But a great man trying to help his people after the insane horror of slavery uh, coming out of that. And we honor those that reach out and help in that way. You know, it's, Americans will always say that they want two things out of a friendship. They want, first of all, somewhere where they can share their secrets. They want trust. And they want to make sure it stops there. They want confidentiality. Those are the two things that people want. And the reason why is because we have a society that, uh, first of all, you share something with. You know, confidentiality of the church is you tell one person at a time. You know that? Uh, that... <laughs> But you really want to be able to come and share kind of your wild ideas, and you want it to stay there. And you also want somebody that doesn't just shine you on all the time. We all know when people are giving us fake compliments. Uh, professor of business Robert Thornton at Lehigh University has a book out. It's called The Lexicon of Unintentionally Ambiguous Recommendations, which stands for liar. And what he has done is he's collected... As you know, when you give a reference on somebody, you can't say anything. If you say anything bad about them, they sue you. If you don't tell bad things about them, the company that hires them sues you. So they have all these double-speak ways. One of these, to describe it in that person, he these are actual lines. I enthusiastically recommend this candidate with no qualifications whatsoever. <laughs> 
To describe an ex-employee who had problems getting along with fellow workers, I am pleased to say that this candidate is a former colleague of mine. Long gone. To describe an applicant not even worth going on with, I would urge you to waste no time in making this candidate an offer of employment. The question is, is that a waste of time or not? But when Jesus comes to speak to these churches, there's no double talk. And when Christ comes to speak to us this morning through his word and through the Holy Spirit himself as he touches you. You know, one of the fun things about preaching uh, is that I get the microphone. But outside of that, I'll stand up front and I'll be talking about blue. And somebody will come up later and say, I always had a question about yellow. And you answered that. And what that is, is as the Holy Spirit, as we take these words and we come to him, he applies it to your word where you're at, to your heart. And one thing that Jesus says of this church, this small little church of Philadelphia, it's the smallest of the churches, is why he says you have but a little power. They were really beat up in a very pagan city. But they're the big church in Jesus' eyes because of their faith. In the Greek, pisto eomai, the faithfulness. In the Hebrew, it would be chesed, faithful love. Faith starts this journey with Christ. Faith and grace, as TJ was saying, is what has to journey on through life. And faith is what's going to take us home. And Jesus tells them in that passage that you read at Philadelphia, that God, three things about their faithfulness, that God opens doors for faithful people. If you're faithful in a little bit, I mean this, God will open greater doors of opportunity. God opens them. You and I don't need to try to bang on the doors and knock them off their hinges. God opens doors for faithful people. And nobody's going to shut those. And he also takes us through the trials of life by faithful people. Do you know why you've got to get into one of these small groups? Because when you go through life, and I know it's scary to let people next to you. But if you don't let somebody come and be a friend or you be a friend to them, you're not going to make it. I mean that. The way you make it is by having a brother or sister come alongside and they can laugh, as this couple was saying, and, and cry with you and to share. God gets us through trials by faithful people, but he tells Philadelphia, and someday Christ is going to come back. And Jesus said, I will reward you according to how you lived your life. It's not about buying our salvation. That's totally by grace like we were singing about. But Jesus said, I will reward you according to your faithfulness. To me and to each other. And with the mission that we have to help make this the greatest city for Christ in America, that means that we need to have friends that can come alongside and help us. Well, Philadelphia uh, was about 25 miles uh, southeast of uh, Sardis. And it was a really important city. Our uh, drama team has put together little uh, informational videos. And uh, the sixth church in the book of Revelation, uh, we have one on Philadelphia. Watch this. It was a very important city in, in the place of where it lay in this fertile ground. And many different, as you can see, temples were there. And Jesus comes to this church and he tells them, good job, you faithful people. And he says, because of your faithfulness, I'm going to open new doors for you. If you've got your Bible, let's uh, take a look at this again a little closer and listen to what uh, Christ says to the church in Los Angeles. I believe that there is one church in each region in the eyes of Christ. It meets in many different places. That's why we use the term many rooms. Jesus said in John 14, in my father's house are many rooms as we connect together. But look what he says here in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, 
These are the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Life is a series of walking through different doors. God opens some doors, and by the way, none of us are on an escalator. You've got to walk through them. And sometimes God will close doors that breaks our heart. If you're watching the Winter Olympics, you know what you're not getting information on? The people that almost made it to the team. They tried, and they lived their whole life as an athlete to make it onto the team, whoever she or he was, and they didn't make the cut. And that door is closed. Or maybe trying to find somebody to have a a spouse, a husband or a wife, or to to have children. Or maybe it's to try to have a job. You wanted that role so bad, and somebody else got it. Sometimes you're saying, Lord, I'm trying so hard for this, and the door is shut. Well, God doesn't shut those doors because he's playing games with us or he's angry with us. But he wants to give us something better that we would satisfy originally for a compromise for a lot less. And Jesus is saying to the church at Philadelphia, I am going to open a great new door for you. And Bel Air, I think we're living in a time, I really do, where God is opening remarkable doors. And you, we have to take advantage of those doors. Amen? And that means that we, how we do that is we walk together. We take Christ by the hand. Now notice he says that you have but a little size, but yet you have kept my word. He says, by the way, I have the key of David. What's that? Well, in Isaiah 22, it's a reference to the servant who God would send. The keys of David are like the keys to the kingdom. Keys are remarkably simple things, but isn't it a bummer when you lose them? The other day, I had an experience I hadn't had before. I uh, went to the car wash, and I gave him my keys. I got in, and when they put it uh, online, and when it came off, it was locked. And the keys were inside. And they came up and they said, well, uh, call home, get another one. I said, I don't have another one. A guy sitting next to me, uh, he says, oh, that's one of a newer explorer. He goes, you know, that thing's got an electronic system. There's no way you're going to get into there. I said, well, thanks for the encouragement. Um, you know, may, may you get Ebola. Uh, but as he, <laughs> but when I looked at that and they said, well, I can't do it. And, and then one guy said, oh, don't worry, Roberto will get in. I said, well, who's Roberto? They go, he's at lunch. You know, he'll be here in a minute. Well, this guy had to be like 80 years old. Comes walking up, looks in the and there's the keys right in there, you know. And he looks at it, and the guy next to me said, "He's never going to do it." And he walks over to the shed, brings over a little shiv, and pops the door open, and we're in. Praise God! <laughs> Is it? You can see the keys right there in the ignition, but you can't get in. It does you no good. And you and I, we know we can see, we can see this life that we know we could live with the Lord. It's right there in front of us. And yet, if unless Christ opens the door, and when He opens it, you're not going to be able to shut it. When God opens opportunities, nobody will stop Him. And when He shuts doors, they're not going to open up. And it's learning how to love the Lord and to trust Him with that. So He says, because you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, there are doors that evil opens. And there are doors that Satan himself will open up into our lives and say, walk this way. Jesus said, the 
gate or the door that leads to destruction is wide. And the path is very easy. And sadly, he says, and many are they who walk it. But the door that leads to life is narrow. And the way is hard. And there are few who find it. Open doors do not mean an easy road. And when God opens a door in your life and an opportunity, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. In fact, Jesus says the reverse. But it's moving ahead to where our heart desires to be. Sometimes Satan will open a door like he did the serpent to Eve in the garden. That he comes and he says, can you not eat of all the trees? She says, we can eat of every tree in the garden. But that one over there, tree of knowledge of good and evil, we can't even touch it lest we die. And then Satan lies through his teeth to her. He says, God is keeping you from a good life. God's jealous. He knows you'd be just like him if you took any of that, and he can't stand the competition. And every temptation that you and I have gone through is the exact same thing. It's a temptation of disbelief. Because we think, if I gave into that right now and walked through that door, oh, on the other side is wonders. And the wonders is there as horrors. The doors, that, like animosity. Do you know when someone hurts you and upsets you and you're mad at them? It's all right to be mad, but dump that stuff fast. Because you put it on the shelf and it will grow and mold and warp in ways in your life. And you can't forgive them on your own. You have to say, Lord, forgive them through me. When that happens, rather than, because otherwise that hatred will be with you. And anger comes out in weird ways. Or temptations to physically, to addictions. If you know of anybody who has wrestled with the booze or the coke or sexual addictions and this insane internet pornography. 260 new sites a day I was reading the other day. And you know that industry is right down here is the capital of porn land. And sometimes we have these broken lives come up here and to help them. I want to tell you, how does that stuff start? Well, normally there's a curiosity factor. We're all curious. Maybe a drink, maybe a line of coke, maybe just a few pills to help you get you through the day. Maybe just looking at Then it becomes experimental. Then it becomes regular. And then it becomes habitual and finally it's an addict. And an addiction, by definition, has no pleasure in it. If somebody's ever been hooked on the booze or the coke, you know when you get high, you don't feel better. You're just hurt without it. And Jesus says that when he opens doors, he opens doors to life. And he says, I am the way out. Now, how do you know what's the right door? In fact, in life, you try to open all the ones you can without walking through and committing to any in your job career. Isn't that true? You try to say, you try to get as many good offers as you can, and which way should I go? You try to date as many people as you can. Uh, some of you try to marry as many people as you can. But as, you, <laughs> but as you're going through life, you're saying, well, what's the right one for me? Well, this is where you need a small group. I knew he was going to get around to that thing again. This is why you need that. Because they can listen to you, and if you can trust them and share with them and they can pray with you, it helps out. We come to God where we have need. But, you know, when things are going all right, we put him on the shelf. Unless you got a brother or sister. Like the guy was late for an appointment and he was trying to find a parking spot and he couldn't. And he started to pray. He says, God cares about me. God, get me a parking spot and I'll go to church every week, every week, every week. He's driving around. He couldn't find one. He says, God, if you get me a parking spot, I'll start tithing. And all of a sudden, right in front of the building, a car backed out. And the guy said, never mind, Lord, I just found one. <laughs> How many times... Do we say, uh, God, 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 help? Oh, no, no, never mind, God. I, we, we, I'll, get, I'll get to you later. Have your people call mine. Uh, 
And the Lord says no. And it is by the faithfulness that God will open new doors. You don't need to do that. All you have to do is day by day be faithful. And he'll open the doors. The doors he wants. The doors, you know, he's been thinking about you for a long time. There's an eternity in front of us, not just behind us there. And he has been planning and he knows what is the call that he has on your life. And Jesus says to them, because you have kept my word. Look at verse 9. This is a strange. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews or not, but are lying. I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you. The synagogue. Now, this is not anti-Semitic. Remember, we saw this in the church at Sardis. This is written by a Jew. All the Bible is. Jesus was Jewish. I don't know if you've heard that or not. He's not anti-Semitic. He's anti-Satanic. And there are those that are Jews on the outside, but they're not of the heart because they rejected the Messiah. And sometimes the people sitting in the church are the ones that will hurt you the most. And we all know that. Because not everybody sitting in the church has got their act together. In fact, Jesus said, I came to call the sick, and the church showed up, right? And so very often we come together, but just because you sit here and you might know all the words to the songs and you might know the scriptures, the person actually, that doesn't necessarily mean they're yielded to the Lord. And Jesus says, you know those ones that have come against you? I'm going to make them bow down before you. Now you and I are never allowed to take vengeance. God said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay them. When someone hurts you, you don't hurt back, you don't enable them. You can say no, you can say stop, but you don't get back at them if they broke your heart and wounded you. You leave that into the Lord's hands. And by the way, God is very thorough at justice. That's true in relationships. We had an older lady uh, did their 60th anniversary. She said, submitting is ducking so God can hit your husband. (laughs) (laughs) That very often that God will take care of that. But know this. There are people around the world this morning that are paying the price for being a Christian. And they're paying with their lives. There are people that don't, don't just have a parking problem to get up and come to a beautiful sanctuary and hear great music. It is costing them to do what they do. And Jesus, everyone who has stood against him someday, he is gonna, they are going to bow before the risen Lord. And he's going to say to his church, and the world and all of history will know how beloved we are at that moment. And he's telling the church at Philadelphia and the church at Los Angeles at Bel Air, someday, don't worry, I will make it right. Just remember Joseph when he told his brothers, I had a dream and all these 12 stacks of wheat bowed down before me and someday you're going to bow down before me. And they go, is that right? And they sold him into slavery, just like my brothers tried to do to me. And, <laughs> and he got rid of it. But it came true one day. And one day those that honor the Lord, not to worry. God will connect the dots. And you pray for those that are outside of the Lord. You pray for them diligently. How do you know how to do things? Because God takes people through trials by faithful people. Look at the next verse. 10. Because you have kept my word of patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Now, The whole question is that how is world history going to go? Remember I've told you before, when they asked Jesus, is the world going to get better or worse? He said, absolutely. Good and evil will go to the extreme. Evil will get worse as good gets better. 
And I think today you are seeing this, there's demonstration of goodness and kindness and sacrifice, unbelievable out there, as evil simultaneously gets worse. But he said that the world will go into contractions, as a mother is in contractions in birth pangs. And it will go from crisis to crisis, more intense as it gets closer. And then the world doesn't just solve its own problems. Everybody sings kumbaya and hugs around the fire. But in the last days, whatever those last days are, there's going to be a period of history. There will be some generation that's the last deal of the day. Now, every generation has thought they were, but there will be one. And the last person that gets on their knees and says, Christ, I need you in my life, bang, game over. Christ will return when the author walks on the stage, the play is over. And in those intense times going through there, some people have interpreted that the time of tribulation, it is called. Jacob's woes, Jesus describes it as. It's a seven-year period. Some in eschatology, that's the big word meaning last things, pre-tribulation, that Christ comes and takes the church before the tribulation. Some people think in the middle of it. Some think at the end of it. If God asks you, vote for pre-tribulation... But the only trouble is, this word here in the Greek, I will keep you from the hour, is tereo ek. The only other time that is used is when John writes the Gospel of John in the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. Father, I do not pray that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou should tereo ek, keep them from the evil one. The children of Israel had to go into Egypt. They had to go, God's people went into the wilderness. The nation of Israel had to go into exile. The church, as this is being written about, had to go into persecution. And I personally think that the church is probably going to go through the last days. And how we go through those last days? As we go through them by having friends come alongside us and love us. And I think there's incredible greatness and goodness in front of us. Now, Jesus said, you're not going to hear wars and rumors of wars. Don't let that flip you out. That's not the end. But when this gospel is preached throughout the world, then lift up for you, know that your redemption draws nigh. Sure, before on New Year's Day, the U.S. Center for World Missions calculated for, quote, biblical Christians, those that believe the Bible is God's word to us and that Christ alone is hope. It was estimated in 1420, 1400 years after this handful of Christians gathered together, one in 99 people on the planet was a Christian. By 1790, it was 1 in 49. By 1940, right before we entered World War II, it was 1 in 32. In 1970, it was 1 in 19. In 1980, it was 1 in 10. And in 2005, as we sit here this morning, 1 in 7 people certainly believe that this is God's word and Christ's answer. And 1 out of 3 on this planet profess His name. Amen. I mean, that's a praise the Lord for that. It is exploding. Does that mean that Christ is going to come back in our lifetime? Not necessarily. I think so, but I've been wrong two other times. The most important thing is <laughs> that is whenever Christ comes back, and I don't need to worry about dates or any of that stuff, but what I need to worry about is how can I love these, this obnoxious, sin-filled city? And I need you. And here's the sad news. You need me. And as we need each other and we go through this, because God opens doors for faithful people, God gets us through trials by faithful people coming alongside, and finally God will reward us according to our faith. 
Look what he says here in verse 12, or verse 11. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. If you conquer, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You will never go out of it. You know, what in the world is that? Well, a pillar was the most important part, not just structurally, but honored. In fact, the temples where he's talking about in Philadelphia, they put up huge pillars, sometimes with no roof on them, just because it's such a difficult architectural feature. And the pillar was showed the name of the temple and who it belonged to. And he's saying, I'm going to have you as such an important part in what I'm going to be doing into the future, into all eternity. You will literally be a part of the household of God with Christ's name written. Every time you go to LAX and you get your bags, you're, isn't it great? There's three colors for suitcases. That's the only three you can ever figure out. But you look at your name tag to see that's there. And you take only what's yours. God is going to tag you as his. You will belong to the king, my daughter, my son. And when you belong to Christ, and someday we stand in front of him, you know, he's going to ask, he's not going to ask how large of a church we had. It's important to grow. That means people are finding Christ. The question isn't how many people can we get in here. The question is how many people can we send out into the world and to love. And as we send people out, we send us out together in community. That's what this is all about. And someday when we stand before the Lord, he's just going to simply ask, were you faithful in what I asked you to do? You can't do everything, and God doesn't want you to. But you can do the thing that God has planned for you to do. And you can't do that alone. A soldier doesn't say, you know, I'm tired of fighting this battle. I'd like to be over there on that invasion force. They're, they're doing a little better. No, you go where the commanding officer sends you. TJ up here with the band or with the choir at our 9 o'clock service. They may not like the piece that they're playing particularly or their part in there, their notes, but you know what? It's ruined if they don't play that part. Which child do you think you love the most? I have a friend who's got two daughters, and his one daughter is so successful. She's a CEO of a company. She's just knocking them dead out there, and he's got another daughter who he says her gift is partying. But she loves dad and she calls him all the time and she comes over and never forgets things. Guess which one he loves. He loves them both. Guess which one touches his heart. The super successful one? Uh uh It's the one who loves him. There's going to be discouragement. This hill's not going to be taken on the first charge. This president's weekend, when you think of... Abraham Lincoln, I'm sure you've heard before, I'm always reminded of the tenacity of this man. Do you know what his track record was? I'm sure that you've uh, read this before. In 1832, he lost his job and was defeated. He ran for the state legislature. In 1833, he went bankrupt. In 1835, his sweetheart died. In 1836, he had a complete nervous breakdown. In 38, he ran for the Illinois Speaker, defeated. 843, he ran for Congress, defeated. 46, he went to Congress, but then he was lost the nomination in 48. 49, he was rejected for land officer in Illinois. 1854, defeated for the U.S. Senate. 1856, defeated for the nomination of vice president. 1858, defeated for the U.S. Senate. What gives with this guy? 1860, elected president. That's a tenacious boy. Sometimes you're at the right door, and sometimes it's not opening because it's the wrong door, it's the wrong time. You don't need to open it up. You just need to be faithful, and I do, and let the Lord do that. 
I think the Lord knows our hearts so much more than we do. And he loves us and he keeps calling out to us. Jesus, of course, said, I am the door. I am the gate. Everyone who comes in by me will find salvation. And being a witness, the Greek word is martyrios. Martyrs? A witness means when you get in the court, you tell the swear the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. You just tell the truth. And these were people that say, the Lord changed my life to the point of shedding their own blood. Martyrdom isn't the insanity of the evil of radical Islam blowing people up. That's not a martyr. A martyr is somebody who stands and loves the Lord even more than their life. And you won't, they won't stop loving him. And God will sometimes bring people into our lives. There will be a witness to his grace that we would never expect. In 1884, a couple's son died, and he wanted to go to Harvard. He always wanted to, and so they were kind of a common couple, and they went and they talked to Charles Elliott, the president, and they said, we'd like to give a little something to the school for a memorial. And he said, you mean like a little kind of a scholarship? And they said, no, we'd like to do something like a building. And he thought, you know, cute couple, but, you know, I need money now. And he said... No, I, you know, we don't have need for a building right now at Harvard. In our building plans, we'll be doing that in a few years. But thank you very much for coming by. And they shook his hand gracefully and left. They came out here to California. And in 1885, they laid aside $26 million for the Leland Stanford University. It's called Stanford today. $26 million! That's a lot of money now. You know what it was in 1884? And this guy blows them off. Very much like when we go to a small group, you look at them and you go, what can these people teach moi? What have they got to offer me? And God sometimes will give the riches of Christ if we do that. Has God closed the door in your life and it's broken your heart and you just feel that no matter how hard you try? Don't keep banging on that door. Go to the door, Jesus, and say, Lord, let me in. He's been waiting. Has God opened the door? He's asking you to do something, but man, it is scary. That's all right. You take him by the hand and you start walking there. How do you take his hand? You take the hands of some of these people when you sign up over here. Is maybe the Lord calling us to weave this fabric of friendship across the city with me? And you know, someday in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to stand before the Lord. What a day. And the only thing that will matter then, that bad, is when he says, were you faithful to me? And were you faithful to them? He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you that you have loved us with a way that we can't even imagine. Lord, and there is unimaginable glory that is waiting. In the midst of someday, this dark world will be transformed in the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, until then, make us vessels to serve you by loving this world and this city and telling the good news of Christ. And if there are any in this room right now, you know, you don't have that peace because you don't know. You know the story, but you've never really released yourself to the author. Maybe you've been aware of another voice besides mine tugging at your heart and you know it's Christ. You don't need to do a hundred push-ups or memorize the Bible. You just need to simply say, Lord... I believe that when you died on that cross, my face was on your heart. and You paid for every dumb sin I'll ever do. I think you're alive, Lord, and I know you're coming back. God, I want to repent, let go of the reins, and invite you to come into my heart. And you do that right now, and you'll begin a relationship with him that will last into eternity. 
Thank you, Christ. Thank you that you're going to come back. Thank you in the meantime, you've given us a mission and you've given us each other. And now, Lord, as we come before you with our tithes and our offerings, God, I think of our brothers and sisters. And I think of a woman who is in the Amazon jungle who we stopped with on that river who just lost her husband and all of her children and she's so afraid. And she asked that we would pray for her. And so we do. God, let her feel your presence right now. Let her feel your power. God, thank you for the great things you have done. Thank you for the things that you are going to do. Maranatha, Lord, send him back soon. For his sake we pray. Amen.